strikes thrice the jrpg games club podcast that joke <laughs> this is season six episode six covering the encephalon dive in xenosaga episode one for the ps2 i am chris taylor and my pronouns are he him with me today is brian Beatty. my pronouns are they them and i'm garrett my pronouns are he him Fletcher could not be here today because Fletcher went to join the ira now that they have finally driven the british out of ireland we're recording on GDQ day, and so he's uh, he's speed running Irish terrorism right now. Black and tan percent. <laughs> the rifle burying mini game takes a lot of time. It's a good time oh, for God. donations. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, what happened last time? So when we left off, the party had been framed for the destruction of the Woglinde by a Utic and Federation alliance that is trying to claim Momo and destroy the second Milshin independence in one fell swoop. With limited time left before the trial begins and the falsified data proves this damning claim, Xi'an and company aboard the captured Elsa have a plan to dive into Cosmos's encrypted memory banks and record what they see there, since its government-grade encryption will be immutable in a court of law as truer evidence. And that takes us into this episode. The Matrix, part two, Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> Because basically we pick up with, it just says everyone, but isn't it only Xi'an that puts on the sick cyber ray bands to enter the robot's brain? Yeah. And they're not sick. They're so funny. <laughs> the screen, I have a screenshot of her wearing them and it is so fucking funny to me. I like that she just puts them on over her regular glasses. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like I have an image of someone like Fergie or Christina Aguilera putting on uh, sunglasses exactly like this in some futuristic music video where she's riding a motorcycle or something. Those are the vibes that, that these shades give off to me. So we enter the robot's brain. And then this is where Cosmo's subconsciousness decides to traumatize Xi'an, because I assume last time was probably when he talked about how she hates lightning, because that triggers Cosmo's murders. Mm -hmm. I, again, I'm on the Xi'an Defense Brigade. Please protect her. I am specifically on the Xi'an Weapon Defense Brigade. The automated weapon system is amazing, and I want one. <laughs> really show your delivery drivers what's what. <laughs> Um, Xion first appears on the night of Milsha's destruction, and then suddenly she is seeing her own childhood and the final day her father was allied. And this is when Ellie speaks up, appearing outside the monochrome world for the first time ever and tells her, I've been waiting for you. I'm sorry, I will just refer to this character as Ellie because I recently did a Xenosaga trip. Gears. I meant Gears. Fuck. Yeah, no, she's absolutely just a carbon copy of young Ellie. I still want to figure out if there's symbolism there or if this is just Takahashi reusing imagery like he likes to. My man loves references. <laughs> he super loves references to his own work. Sorry, both he and Saga. I, I don't want to give uh, his creative partner short shrift, but um, they love to reference their own shit. But then Fletcher also will say cryptic shit like wait till the third game because then the imagery will become clear so i don't even want to look it up yet you know so we'll see for some reason your note about poor alan is in a much tinier font than the rest of your notes which i think is very funny <laughs> poor alan so we cut away from the playground to a ruined cyber future which turns out to be the ruined cyber futures past 
where Junior, Momo, and Ziggy are inside the Milshin conflict, which is actually sick as hell. Uh, good reason to hide all of the information about it the whole game. Mm -hmm. A question nobody is asking yet, but might want to soon, is why are all these memories inside of the robot that's barely even done yet? Right? I was thinking about that this whole episode. Like, how the fuck does Cosmos have all of this shit inside of her brain drive? Honestly, both of this. I'm just like, how does any of this work? <laughs> you put on the glasses. OK, only one person put on the glasses, though. Sorry, all I had was a really lazy reference to that movie. I can't remember the name of, but like a lot. <laughs> they live. Speaking of things that live, Junior sees a platoon of identical child soldiers with enormous rifles, like almost as big as they are, just run past him. Uh, he declares they are URTVs. I forgot to look in the glossary what that meant. And he just chases after them uh, without Momo and Ziggy. Momo and Ziggy are forced to chase after Junior. But we cut back to Xion and Chaos and Alan have joined her somehow. And uh, Nef Nephilim finally introduces herself and we cut back to gameplay somewhere else. Yeah, so um, this little bit of gameplay, because now we've split parties, we had access to like all five characters for a good chunk of this mid game. And now we have to use characters that we haven't for a while. And I had totally ignored Momo and Ziggy. And so I had a couple of rough fights while I was trying to figure out how to utilize them. But Ziggy kicks real good. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. The part where he shoots the fireball out of his foot. That move rules. It does. Yeah. Yeah, that move is super good. Ziggy's dumb robot feet are cool, but Ziggy is not cool. <laughs> right. Yes. Uh, cosine. Luckily, though, you get um, you get like three quarters experience for characters not in the active battle party. So the only thing they're behind on is like TP. And mm -hmm. at this point, you don't have enough party members for your entire party to be unskilled. So like Junior at this point definitely has to be skilled up if Momo and Ziggy aren't. So you can kind of like make do for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the the fact that there are five characters in the party means that whatever party got neglected, unless you somehow neglected Chaos and Xion of all people, there's going to be one fully leveled party member no matter where you look. But still rough. Well, Xion at least has to be mildly developed. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. This is for later in the episode, but Xion's giant robot top spin magic attack got me so many points because it killed a group of five kobolds and a bugbear on the first turn all, like all six enemies and it was when the points up slot was activated and so i got points times 10 on that and was just like riding that high for a long time i'm still cruising on the times 10 on the margulis fight like mm. a vile amount of points <laughs> I agree that the Beyblade Summon is amazing. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> Baby, that's, that's exactly what it is. I forgot to get summons. I have not gotten any summons. Just go down to the giant robot part guy and talk to him a couple of times. Are the summons all where all of your AoE attacks are? Because she on not having an AoE attack is kind of rough. Um, it's the only AoE of hers that I've gotten so far are those summons. <sighs> so back to the other party and the trio have a stealth segment. Helicopters are above and searchlights rain down on the street below. 
if you blow up an item, the lights will head towards the noise. And if the lights see you, uh, you immediately get wrecked with a battle. Which is not any harder than the other encounters in the area. So just fucking do it and save a bunch of time avoiding these. I don't know. I had fun avoiding them. I, I liked the tactic of destroying something and then running out of where the sound was. I don't know. It was a cute little touch. But eventually you get to a cutscene, and all of the Moppets from earlier are now gunning men down in the streets. Junior says that they are infected, and this is when Baby Guinan hops onto a car and begins assassinating them efficiently, screaming for Ruby Doe. Suddenly, the flashback shifts to him, wounded, using a rifle as a crutch inside a techno hall. A white-haired child soldier flings Guinan down a floor and descends, flying with a DBZ-ass chaos aura, and then Junior is returned to the street alongside his comrades. And then we do the recurring theme for this, which is just switch the parties back and forth the entire time. Mm. And back to um, Nuffelheim, she tells the scientists that no, they're literally on Milsha right now, and something slumbers in Xi'an's memory. Okay, so this is the poor Alan watch for the episode is uh, when they're having this scene. It's like Nephilim and Shion are swinging on the swing set and Chaos is right there leaning on the swing set. And then Alan is like 15 whole ass feet away from the rest of them, just like crouched on a bench, uh, kind of looking sad. Poor Alan. He just wants to be a main character so bad. We never get party control of him, even though he's with us the whole time and we know that he knows how to shoot a gun. But whatever. That's true. I mean, but did they have an extra gun? Why did they introduce <laughs> Virgil earlier instead of letting you just control Alan in the Wolgland Day in the DS remake? <laughs> For real. <laughs> Alan's pretty cool. And Virgil. Virgil still seems very unimportant. It seems mm -hmm. weird that they would let you control Virgil instead of Alan. I mean, yeah, they just want to have you feel bad after he admits to eating robot brains. What a powerful opening. Is Virgil the one that yells Feb uh, as he dies? Yeah, he is. Okay, because then we meet Feb later this episode. We do. That is correct. So I think Virgil might come back just because we're we're meeting someone that he he had a, a death call for. Maybe. I, yeah, it seems weird that Virgil might be coming back when when I watched him get shot. Well, I, I don't necessarily mean coming back, coming back. I just, you know, we might see him more. All right. Anywho, um, Cosmos found this when they dove into her and recreated it, um, stating memories do not only belong to one person. Here also, this is where Nephilim starts talking some nonsense, uh, uh, some kind of like dream philosophy about how memories are stronger when shared collectively in space and time with the memories of others around us. And <clears throat> also about how like memories effectively are the experience that they're the memory of. And I, I kind of think that's bullshit because memories end up lying to people all the time. But uh, I also don't think this game knows enough about what it wants to say about memories for me to disagree with anything in particular um but like also one last little point here is when she's like consciousness is when joyful and traumatic memories combine and you must accept the entirety of your memories to unlock true consciousness just like okay thanks that's the worst way to just say the things that happen to you make you who you are right yeah yeah, yeah. it just like loading it with like faux jungian techno babble yeah during this point i was mostly just nodding going yep okay whatever you say game <laughs> so also though we finally get to see the conclusion of 
Cosmos's original rampage as um, Ellie makes Xi'an confront the events of that day. Cosmos went to kill her, and instead Kevin blocked the blow, getting a hand through his torso and being tossed aside. Holy shit. Yeah. Going out like Stan. (laughs) (laughs) And then Xi'an proceeds to arm herself and draw and draw down on the robot, blowing its head off with an explosive round. Huge vibe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that was wild. Also wild, and just one bullet can apparently take down a cosmos. There's an incredible, like, red-blue filter on this. Looks yeah. so good. Yeah. I feel like this game has the reputation for being vibeless and I understand where that comes from with the art style but when they reach for noir stuff like noir horror stuff in particular sometimes they nail it yeah no I agree with that I think like a majority of the cutscenes in this area re- seem to like to hit more than miss mm-hmm, totally and especially this one again like she blows the head off of cosmos like the head just basically disappears yeah and it explains more it gives more reason to why she is so babying around cosmos now because she like literally had to blow the head off of the first model yeah i I think this finally like goes around and starts to kind of fill in some of those early game gaps for sure back from the the first ship that i forgot the name of except it makes the relationship more complicated than she on x like it is right Yes, definitely. Yeah. There's like multiple kinds of mommy vibes, right? There's like guardian mommy vibes and then just like the motherly babying ones. And that's what she does. If it was like more protective, that would make more sense because this is basically the last of Kevin. Right. Strange. Mm -hmm. You're right. It doesn't quite thread the needle, but I think I see enough of what they're trying to accomplish that yeah it isn't there but it's there enough that i can buy it and go oh huh characterization yeah i agree with that i I feel like you could almost look at it as like it's interesting that it's like the wrong vibe as well just kind of can characterize xion and like that's how she chooses to deal with it (laughs) that is xion's whole deal is being like 10 percent off all the time (laughs) yeah for sure that's true it's because of those fucking rose-tinted glasses she's got on. <laughs> That's true. That, that is how we ended up here. <laughs> Nephilim then tells the scientists that Cosmos is out there, deeper inside memory slash Bilsha. And so Xion sets off immediately, and, and Alan follows, because that, that's his job. Also, that's explicitly not true. Uh... <laughs> that it's not Alan's job? no that she's not even out there like you did not encounter her ever oh yeah she's just gone this whole episode well you know you see the cosmos was the boss fight in us all along the friends we made along the way was the battle droid
Gus remains behind again and chats with Nephilim. Nephilim tells him that there's no turning back from this. He says, I know, but she's important to her. And then Nephilim asks, is she important to you? And without responding, Chaos just watches the kid disappear. This makes no sense until the third game. Great. Now, now I'm in this for two more games. You are already fucking in this for two more games. Don't pretend you're ever going to turn me down for an opportunity to make a podcast. <laughs> I hate that you're right. <laughs> with this scene, my issues with chaos continue to grow. Just like, why is the party so chill with a semi-omniscient godlike alien soft boy? Just, just being part of the crew. Because he's cool. Yeah, no, he's cool as shit, but I don't understand why the rest of the party is like, hey, so uh, what, you know, come along with us. We don't care what you're in or not in this for or who the fuck you are at all or why you seem to know everything and carry zero emotion inside your voice. You're chill with us. They should probably assume he's a drug dealer because of the puffy vest. <laughs> North space? Yeah. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> the more I think about it, is, is Chaos just like proto-hope from 13? No, because his mom isn't tough. <laughs> I guess that's fair. He does give me like hope vibes, but, but good. Hmm. I hope was a good character. How dare you? Mm, later on, I guess. Okay. Hope had the best characterization, but the pacing of his characterization was off. Like all of the moments lasted too long and had too much repetition. Yeah. But the characterization arc was good. I will accept this. Uh, so now we resume character control and we're controlling the two person party with Xion and Chaos on Milsha. Unlike Junior, who gets humans and Mecha, Xion and Chaos will deal with Gnosis because this was the very bad day that flung those guys into the galaxy. This is the part where you go on a rampage destroying a public art project. <laughs> yeah. Really enjoy that. <laughs> yeah, I, I had that as a note, too. Just like I love to destroy statues of weird shit in the park, causing tons of credits of virtual damage. If I had a disruptor gun, I would go up onto Capitol Hill and destroy that stupid anal bead art installation at the bottom of that one light post by SCC. I hate it. That's what I thought of right away when I started blowing up all these public works. That's very oddly specific. Wait, Ryan knows exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, it's it, it it's a bad sculpture. Uh, so bad. It does just look like a bunch of anal beads. Mm -hmm. No, it super does. You're right. Um. I definitely was ready to complain that you cannot use the slide or go inside the igloo. But it turns out later, if you come back with Junior or Momo as your control character, you can use the slide or go inside the igloo for a treasure chest you can't see. That makes me so mad. Oh, wait, you can use the slide? <laughs> I didn't know about that part. I knew about the igloo. I want to use the slide. I immediately tried to play with all of the stuff on the playground. I was very disappointed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I also thought that it was just uh, an asset. Uh, so, yeah, I'm going back in here in the Encephalon with Momo and Junior. This area is very annoying if you are under leveled because you'll run into bugbears who have a mass heal spell that affects all enemies and you'll only have two party members. This means that if you can't out damage your healing, you are in for a rough time. Yeah, but uh, luckily they're not smart. Their AI is just basically to do it randomly. So like they'll often just open an encounter with that and lose a lot of turns to it. Mm -hmm. Or yeah, they'll boost to heal everyone when there there'll be no one to heal. So that's nice. 
Um, so this dungeon is because you're going through kind of twin disasters on Milsha, which is a city planet. You're going through this kind of futuristic cityscape. There are, you know, like there's lots of like blue tinted glass and balconies and underpasses and also um, like potted plants everywhere and shit. Um, and the dungeon ecology made me realize that I'm kind of coming around to the visual style of the game. Um, like it does feel generic due to it's all metal, everything bland futurism. But I realized that it actually does evoke two real world places for me. The first is the convention center area of downtown Seattle. And the yeah. second is that uh, all of Xenosaga feels like Sacramento just in the future. Well, it helps that like really modern construction is generic in the way that Xenosaga is. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's like real life has evolved to imitate Xenosaga. <laughs> That's one way to put it, I suppose. <laughs> but in this area, uh, Kobold's debut here as well. They can dodge magic. It sucks. They're fast. They suck. There are so many of them. Yeah. Yeah, you can uh, completely solve these encounters with your eggs because uh, eggs have like really powerful armor. Eggs will take zero to one damage from these. And the um, they're called like pile B, but they're like bunker buster spears that your eggs have. Right. That will also one shot these guys. So it still takes a long time because eggs are slower. So they get a lot of turns. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's like my biggest issue with eggs. It's just committing to go in one means like you're going to be sitting there for like three turns to make an action. Yeah. Four if you're going to guard to save AP to do the um, the dual attack thing. Mm-hmm. I will say that these fights are like, if you get an eggs, they are three minutes long, even with the turbo bone button on. Yeah, if you've boosted up Xion's ether points at all, and if you have enough ether packs, you can also just summon magic these and clear them in like two turns often, and then just pop your EP back up when the battle's over and make pretty quick work of them. I'm jealous that I don't have the Beyblade. Word. Get it. Get the Beyblade. Yeah. It destroys Get everything. That yeah. Not having an AoE attack on Xion made this rough. Luckily, I wound up um, boosting Chaos's AoE attack mm. that is on uh, low speed to like damage three. So it was very good, but nice. It's still a little rough. To the side of the main path is the boss Larva Doll, which is a gimmick fight. Damage heals it. However, toss a single healing item at it when the battle begins and you kill it. God help you if you unload on the guy and build up his HP first. Though, because. Uh, oh, it does do a lot of confusion attacks. I just threw an item at it. I looked it up. Mm-hmm. It does a lot of confusion attacks. Your party is confused and then it leaves after a while. It's got powerful the trickster from Grimrock 2 energy mm-hmm. where it just makes you kill yourself a lot and then leaves and it's just a resource suck. That's wild. There's an item in one of the segment addresses around here, I think. It might actually just be an item in a chest that it's an accessory that prevents confusion. And it's like either like a tier three or a tier five skill. And so you're probably not going to be able to extract it, but you can at least block one person from confusion. I'm out of stuff to extract and I'm still on level two. Yeah, I am too. Um, I'm not sure when I'm going to graduate to level three. We'll see. What's I do, though? I have so much shit that level three will be good. Yeah, yeah. So if you got past it, you'll loop around to the start of the area behind a locked door, and it contains segment address number five. Inside is the double buster accessory, which is broken as all hell and amazing. Yeah. The one that gives that gives you that extra AP to start with. 
Yeah, the commander's crest we could have gotten last episode from Cherenkov. Right, and so you can do double circle attacks on the first turn with one of your characters. Especially powerful when you combine it with the... Uh, we well, can't do it right now, but in the end game, I am looking forward to combining that with the golden dice, the brave soul, and the hemlock item. Mm. Uh, to basically do like quadruple damage multiple times. <laughs> Gonna be great. Now you're playing with power. Um, at this point, we briefly pop into the sewers and see some enemies from the Woglinde return in stronger forms, including the Skyfish, who are with the first boss, and more annoyingly, those motherfucking gremlins and the dumbass acid rain shit. I hate oh. those motherfuckers. I hate the acid yeah. rain monsters. At least this time, they kill their allies too, instead yeah. of it being three of them and them all healing 300 points at a turn. Yeah, so basically the strategy is... Oh, sucks. It's great. Um, briefly, on the subject of uh, things like the Y Fish billboard, I want to point out that uh, one of the cafes in this area is called the Undergirl Cafe. That kicks ass. <laughs> Passing through the next exit puts you in the shoes of Junior again. Underground, you can find the segment address door 15, which you should also have the key for and can open immediately, which gives you the Angel Ring, which has your EP consumption and is extremely powerful. It's so good. As you pass through the subway, you'll um, suddenly end up in the second chunk of sewer under the path that Xion took. At some point, actually, as Xion, I think you can unlock a door here for mm -hmm. Junior where you get some like good shit out of it. Yeah, that that shit is catnip to me uh, where you have two separate parties and they have some interlocking thing where one party unlocks something for another. I love that stuff. Noted Resident Evil Zero Stan. Well, no, except for Resident <laughs> Evil Zero because they do it poorly. But like Xenosaga episode one continues to have clever little tricks in their dungeons. Very smooth and interesting uh dungeon design in a mechanical sense even though they take way too long and they don't have music i've really liked the dungeons in this game we haven't talked about it before we leave i want to like mention that um the milshin conflict section is like really well executed mm -hmm. it really gives off that vibe of active war zone absolutely yeah agreed um we come out of the sewers onto the surface and you're outside of a massive building. It's a Utix Central Tower Labyrinthos, which is very funny to me. Uh-huh. I was expecting a maze dungeon at this point. Oh, me too. Absolutely me too. I was like, Labyrinthos. It's even funnier when Momo's like, I want to go into the building named after a place known for being hard to find and try to find my father randomly on one of the floors. Well, it also it also looks like a Shin Megami Tensei final dungeon. It really does. It looks like a building in like Seoul. It is enormous. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so big. Uh, about partway up the building on a balcony, a crazed preacher is going off about hell and the damned and... Momo's just like, oh my god, that's my dad. This is so <laughs> embarrassing. God, <laughs> this whole encephalon dive is uh, Oprah asking everyone to like look under their chairs, uh, and it's like, <laughs> you get a trauma, you get a trauma, you get a trauma. Alan's trauma is just this entire game, though. So, <laughs> yeah, Alan's trauma is just being in love with um, the world's most absent-minded genius bimbo. My man is named Bluebido, but just for his balls. <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> uh, 
So glad we don't do episode titles because that's what it would be. <laughs> uh huh. I know. So uh, during this fire and brimstone style judgment, um, an explosion propels Mizrahi off the tower and onto Momo, his flaming corpse vanishing as she tries to catch it. Fucking owed. <laughs> just brutal. And again, Momo, 12 years old here. Um, suddenly, the simulated ground falls away beneath them, but a sigil in the sky begins reacting as they fall and everyone vanishes in white. Suddenly, we're with Shion and Chaos again. They're in the forest, and we meet new Gnosis who are poison-themed. And this time I made the effort to equip the right skill. Exactly what I did, too. This is also where you can get a scare quotes fun side event to chase Shion's email mascot around the forest and steal into its house by luring it out with carrot juice and running past it. It has a fucking bizarre, like, big nose, angry moon Majora-esque face on the back of its head. It's a whole thing. It looks like a Maine Coon's face. <laughs> it super does. And the whole thing is just so bizarre and surreal. And I'm not usually someone who goes, huh, this is weird. But as soon as the carrot juice thing started happening in this, like, forest of traumatic memories, uh, I went, huh, this is weird. You get something from this, and I forget what it was. It can't have been that good. Yeah, no, it was it was fine, but um, I don't know. Yeah, the the mini game itself was the friends we made along the way. Well, well, no, see this this entire dungeon was just built around explaining why Xi'an's phone AI was this bunny. Mm. Because the, there's a statue of the bunny in the previous segment that she comments on, and then the carrot juice thing happens. Mm-hmm. So clearly, she just takes these these things and incorporates them into her life. Yeah, yeah. Cos Cosmos out here thinking that she has the key to everyone's like deepest, darkest memories that will truly unlock their consciousness. And then somehow the email rabbit and its weird nightmare face makes it in there, too. It's got like powerful Iggy from Jojo's energy just on like bad human faces on animals. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, I can agree with that. Moving on from that segment. The screen then cuts to the cyber party elsewhere in the forest. Momo is unsurprisingly mad traumatized right now, but we don't have time for that. This is where everybody regroups and everyone basically goes, this is real, even though it's not. And suddenly there's a church. <laughs> yeah. There's also a side door that's locked, but when you could go in, you can unlock it. What is the point of that? What the fuck? <laughs> it doesn't take you to a secret area because it, I don't know, man. Fuck you. Clearly something got cut. Yeah, you know what they say about a church with a locked side door. Yikes. Um, so we enter and we meet Fabronia, a Realian woman. We've actually seen her before being devoured by Gnosis. That was the flashback with um, Virgil. Yeah. And then she leads us to a door which will allow everyone to reconcile their memories. Memories of pain. Because that's what we're doing. Remember when we were trying to get encrypted data? I don't. <laughs> yeah, this uh, again, we're, this belongs to the end probably, but I love how at the end of all of this, we still somehow manage to deliver the encrypted data that we spent no time looking for. But... How? You do find Cosmos inside of here where she's yes. being crucified with ox cords with for, ox the, for, for the sin of there being no environmental music. <laughs> Symbolism. Symbolism. <laughs> 
So we walk through the door and we're suddenly in a real fucked up hospital and everyone is outside of the acute neurosis treatment facility. This is where Xi'an's mother was treated. Also, this place is currently bloodied and wrecked and there are gnosis here and we see them devouring Fabronia and the others again. Fabronia just really getting it this episode. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Junior starts having a flashback. Uh, he could see the conclusion to the earlier scene with the white and black haired children. The white haired kid is Albedo with both lost in their horrible trauma. Everyone else watches as a massive gnosis appears. This is the boss Tiamat. So just walking back extremely briefly to the cutscenes with uh, Fibronia before we're in the hospital, um, they're all kind of having a conversation about how they're all there and, and why they're all diving. And Shion mentions that the only way for the Encephalon to be able to pull everyone into Shion's own dive is for there to be some external force. So yeah, it was just Shion who went diving, but everyone got drawn in by an external force. And that is when Shion flashes back to Nephilim saying, I've been waiting for all of you, which implies that it wasn't just Cosmos's consciousness that drew everybody in. It was also Nephilim. But anyway, back to the boss, uh, the Albedo Tiamat Gnosis boss. Um, Tiamat has two really irritating tricks. So it seems like a boss that is uh, eggs scale because it's a giant Gnosis with a lot of hit points. But the thing is that it can really only be killed by specific humans. So the first irritating trick that it has is that um, if it takes a turn directly after Junior or Shion, it does a special reaction move. And it cheat boosts to do it all the time. Yeah, yeah. Cheat boosting specifically, it can boost over your previous boost as well. That sucks ass. I hate that bosses cheat on boost. I know it sucks. Yeah. Like the whole game is about turn order manipulation. So I had a strategy and it wasn't 100%, but Junior's spell that blocks Gnosis and humans from being able to cast either spells ended up actually negating. It wasn't like 100%. I never got the AP half or the gravity crush and I only occasionally got the ruined earth. So typically after Shion takes a turn, it will inflict AP half on someone wherein that party member gets one half of their AP per turn. And then after uh, Junior's actions, it can attack with Gravity Crush, which is an all target one fourth AP damage spell. Eventually, it does start pulling out another reaction called Ruined Earth, which is an all target mass damage ether spell. And then also, uh, you can't kill this thing with eggs. And also, I think that if you tried to do it specifically in eggs, that you would be so turn over fucked that it wouldn't matter. But Shion or Junior in their human form has to deliver the killing blow. Uh, and then if Junior kills it, then it revives for 1500 HP and Shion has to kill it. And also, if your third par party member kills it, it also heals every single time. It does that in eggs, too. Mm -hmm. So basically, you can just go into eggs because they have enough HP if you only use them on like the eggs encounters like kobolds that you can just blow through like the 6400 HP, have it heal up to 15, then disembark and get your two kills. Mm. Oh, OK. That's an interesting tweak. Yeah, you basically cut the boss functional HP in half. Aha. And um, by that point, once it heals, it will only do ruined earth, which is not a big deal because it doesn't do as much damage as like medical can heal. Mm -hmm. So you actually don't have to deal with AP half at all. 
Yeah, that's super nice. AP half rounds up, by the way, since eggs mm-hmm. get three AP. So you would go down to one and a half and then you still get two. So you just keep spamming pile bunker the whole time. <laughs> so this game does have a few like really annoying fights that they also give you a bunch of tools to mitigate. Yeah, this is an interesting fight, no matter how you do it. Mm hmm. Yeah, it was harrowing for me. It's a solid boss. I thought this boss was pretty good, though. Like, Mm -hmm. I feel like it was balanced enough where it wasn't, like, extremely frustrating or anything. Yeah, like the fucking carrier could be. Oh, the carrier. Yeah. There's also a uh, rare item to steal here, which I forgot about, even though Junior has a psycho pocket now, which is hilarious to me. Great name. (laughs) Good name. Like, I know it's supposed to be short for psychokinetic pickpocket, but lol. I know. Once you've gotten uh, both your killing blows with Shion and Junior, the fight is over and we head into a series of cutscenes where a lot happens. Still not sure what happens, but things happen. Good news. We have notes that tell you what happens and you can pretend to be a subject matter expert. I mean, they tell me what happens, but it doesn't explain it. So let's just go down the list and go through what happens in this next part. So now we're somewhere in a pocket realm and an image of Furbonia is being created. It's for the benefit of two twin realians, Celsi and Calf. To them, it's a guardian sitting under a lovely tree in an endless grassy field. In reality, they're sealed inside the ruins of Milsha, dancing around for Brona's ruined corpse and rubble. They have to be freed for the future of Aurelians, as well as humans, non-humans, etc. So basically the future. And isn't it Alan who comments on like how it's so nice in the beginning and then it flips to the ruin part? Mm-hmm. Yeah, get fucking owned, Alan. Yeah, and specifically also, uh, Fabronia says here that the two girls are trapped by an illusion that was created by mankind in order to trap the Zohar, which implies that Cecily and Kath, still on Milsha, were trapped there in order to trap the Zohar that we are going to track down um, ostensibly in the next couple of episodes. Is this supposed to mean anything to me right now? This is where um, I think Fletcher might be able to shed more light. Fletcher won't shed more light. Fletcher will say that's a spoiler and then I'll be mad. Yeah, (laughs) that's fair. That's what I was going to say is that he might be able to shed more light if we already have information about this. I think that this is a read and find out moment, but but I'm not sure. 
Okay. Yeah, like the best guess that I can get is they're like the Ellie who I assume is right now, like the best bet I can have on Ellie is that Ellie is like part of the Zohar that Shion interacted with and that they are like Ellie, but for the real Zohar. Mm -hmm. That's the best that I can do right now with them. Man, I have a bad feeling we're not going to know until game two when you maybe make it to second Milsha. Oh, my God. Um... Uh, Nephilim then reveals that she and Fibronia only exist in the world of consciousness now and can only touch reality in limited bursts. They're so prevalent here because of literally being inside of Cosmos's consciousness. And then we get a flash forward to a completely decked out Valkyrie Cosmos flying toward a planet which begins to boil with red energy. Then they have the classic anime beam fight and the universe is destroyed. Pretty sick. Yeah, just serious Idion vibes everywhere. Whenever Cosmos is is Idioning the galaxy in a flash forward, <laughs> I'm here for it. I, lo- I love the Idion description of that. Mm-hmm. The red energy is Udu, a name which Junior instantly recognizes, and Udu is the source of the space-time anomaly that consume Milsha and will wake up soon. And what we were shown was Cosmos in the form she was meant to be. So, um couple of quick notes udu is described as a consciousness so you know there's a lot of talk about what consciousness is in this episode and udu is this kind of like dark alien consciousness that as chris stated um created the Milshin disaster also while we have been doing this episode i did quickly look up urtv and turns out that the acronym that these child soldiers have that the child soldiers that were inflicted infected with the song of nephilim that during juniors flashbacks it says the udu retrovirus units and so the child soldiers that all look like uh blonde cloned junior and gynan are specifically created to combat udu okay okay so the new types are basically immune to udu Yeah, yeah, I think their life energy wavelength cancels the wavelengths of Udu. Okay. Okay is the only appropriate response to that. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds fine. (laughs) Sounds great. So uh, Nephilim has shown the party this vision of the future, despite the fact that she judged them as unready, because having more people preparing for this universe ending conflict might be the tipping point in the galaxy not obliterating. And then she vanishes, telling the party to seek Milsha and leaving them to find Cosmos crucified to a stone cross with ox cords. Luckily, they were already heading to Milsha. I have some questions about the part where Shion ascends an invisible staircase in space to open a door, which is good imagery. But my man, how did you know the stairs were there? (laughs) The classes. <laughs> okay. Yeah, they lift glasses. Yeah. Just all the stairs have like words on the front of them that say step here. <laughs> yes. Uh um there's a lot of just like doorway imagery in general in this episode. Well, yeah, they're like going deeper out of the fake reality that Nephilim basically constructed on top of Cosmos's subconscious, I think is what's supposed to be happening. Eat shit, Christopher Nolan. Christopher Nolan can eat shit for his bad volume mixed movie that I could not refund. 
Oh, no. Yeah. I mean, Christopher Nolan can eat shit for a lot of reasons, but also um, my guy, the most anime video game of all time, stole your plot years before you made it. So eat shit. Um, they return to reality after Xion disarms Cosmos's protections and in a hilarious fuck up, they forget to render Ziggy in the room for half the scene. Everyone is released, but told to stay in the Milshin star system until the trial resolves. Here is the part where um, even though the entire mission was to go diving for this data, and then we never see anyone actually go access this data inside Cosmos's memory, Xion is still able to just produce the disk, the super hyper encrypted data that they need in order to clear their own name. Did Ellie just like leave a mini disk behind at the end and was like, here's the data you need, by the way? <laughs> well, I would just I would just hand wave it as they plug the USB drive into a crucified inner cosmos to get the real data. You mean mini disks? <laughs> this is the future. Sorry, the S dads. Yeah. And as of one of five people that had a mini disc player, I can appreciate this media. Uh, that's it. There's not really any interesting party chat this episode because you play as everyone, so everyone just generically develops this episode. Yeah. Do we have any closing thoughts on this section or for Garrett, the game so far? This game's wild. <laughs> I heard you don't like it. I'm going to backpedal slightly. I don't know. There are definitely just annoying parts to it. I think overall I like it, but it's just so slow. Mm -hmm. It is a very slow paced video game. Absolutely. And like, it's one of the few games I think there might be more cutscenes than gameplay. Definitely, as far as JRPGs go, it has one of the most skewed cutscenes to gameplay ratios. But then again, there are these long dungeons where there's like hardly any cutscenes for a good two hours of dungeon. But I think you're right that there are tons of cutscenes. Yeah, the balance just feels really weird. And so, like, mm -hmm. overall, it gives like a really like slow, like feeling going through it. The cutscenes are weird because the cutscenes are definitely like the best part of the game. Like the combat system is good and the way the encounters are designed are great. Like everything feels really meaningful, like you said earlier um, before the episode. But it is just that all of the animations are too long. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really the big problem with the game. A hundred percent. I think there's like two attacks that you can skip some of them. But I feel like if there's like an option for it or something, that would really kind of help the pacing of it. Like our drill is so long. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, as is um, um, Ziggy's area of effect from the air, uh, the meteor storm or whatever it's called, uh, takes a while too for me. The problem with Ziggy's is that because the animations are him moving super fast, they don't look good when you turbo through them. So I could <laughs> either choose to have them look good and take forever or be over in a reasonable time. Mm hmm. Gosh, this is making me wonder if uh, Namco pulled a Square Enix and released these classic JRPGs, but with a built-in battle speed-up function, like the re-releases of Final Fantasy IX, would people buy them? Because it really is just exactly the pacing of the animations and the pacing of the battles that hold the play of this game back. Let me tell you right now, Europe would buy them. I found out a fucked up thing. There exist Xenosaga the movie DVDs mm. uh, as pre-order bonuses for Xenosaga Episode 2 because Xenosaga Episode 1 did not come out in Europe. Uh, the bad one 2 did, and then the good one 3 did not. I have what heard 3 is like a masterpiece. 
3 is incredible. The combat system of 3 is like basically Final Fantasy 13's like break and stagger system, but in a turn-based setting, mm-hmm. it's extremely good. Okay. So 3 has to tie up the threads of what was supposed to be a 6-game arc into a third game, also uh restore goodwill from the disaster of the second game and do that on a massively slashed budget that was a you know like not quite half of what the first game had but definitely much less than what the first game had and the fact that it manages to do as much as it does is kind of remarkable to me it has incredible music yeah there's a lot of kick-ass guitar in that like very powerful vibes in three three is great yeah so i do hope you stick with it because i'm excited for three He's going to stick with it because I'm going to invite him on the next one. Yeah, I probably. I, oh, yeah, I, I can't say no. <laughs> so I take it you're going to finish Xenosaga one then. Yeah, I'll probably go through and, and finish it up. Word up. I feel like at this point I'm already past the halfway mark. I might as well. You're probably much closer to halfway. You're probably about like 75 percent done. It's just that the cutscenes get very dense. So you have to make more podcast episodes about it. Yeah, I think like besides from like being slow by other thing with just this game is like i'll watch one of these long cutscenes, and then afterwards i'll just be like so what happened Hmm. yeah i think that i am understanding the rules and explanations of this game a lot more simply because i have to take notes on it because i make a podcast about it um otherwise i think that a lot of it would be like huh i find out what happens when we record our episodes (laughs) Yeah, right. It's like it's a reinforcement of like, oh, so that's what happened. Yeah, I feel like just a, a, with like a lot of just like the plot stuff is like it's kind of I don't want to say out there because I don't think that's the right term, but it's so just like weird and like awkward. Maybe just after watching it, it just takes forever, like having to go to a wiki to be like, so so what happened here? Yeah, it doesn't give a shit about onboarding you. It treats all of its concepts just like things in the world. And everything is equally important, mm-hmm. right? Like the whole UTIC is manipulating the government thing is treated as equally important as Cosmos uh, and Udu are going to obliterate the universe unless you intervene. Right. Right. Which is interesting because it keeps the beginning from feeling small potatoes like every other JRPG. Absolutely. Yeah. Like we talked about in the first episode, I mean, the Woglinde basically is a starting village that gets burned down, but it is already suffused with so much interest because they presented us a living world. Um, Is there a better starting town other than like maybe Midgar? Yeah, I don't think so. I don't know. This one reminded me of just Terrace from the first Kotar. Yeah. Just for like how long you're here and like how dense it is. For sure. I like that. And the thing is that, like, this game deals in space magic and a lot of very silly leaps of logic, but it does pay a lot of attention to world building details that try to at least make an internal kind of sense. Um, Like, for example, the fact that it's like a corporatocracy where there are nations, but then there are also corporations that act with the power of nations. One detail that I really love from the very end of this is when Xion's exhausted, she's worried that she's going to get fired for stopping an international incident single-handedly just because she had to unearth corporate secrets to do it. No one knows if you don't tell them. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that's like what's also saving it for me, too, is like I feel like a lot of like the question marks that happen earlier in the game, they are steadily getting answered. Mm hmm. 
so I feel like there's been some there's been some good faith built up that they'll go back and start to fill in the blanks that you might get from earlier with uh, just what happens before. Yeah, I I was worried on revisit that this would be a lot like Lost, where um, the questions weren't answered or were unsatisfactorily answered at least half the time, and on the other half the time it was sick. But like you know, but a lot of these questions they're not just thrown away as the plot moves on; they come back. Do you guys have any commercials? I have a commercial. I I talk about Common Rider on the internet with two friends that didn't watch Kamen Rider until I made them do a podcast. And now they're stuck in it for the next decade. Hell yeah. Um, because we're watching a decade's worth of shows. Um, so that's dream through the And we're in the middle of a good show. Um, as opposed to previously when we're in the middle of a less than good show. Cool. Cool. Uh, you can listen to Chris and I's podcast, Lightning Strikes Thrice Extreme, by visiting our Patreon at tentacle.pro and kicking in as little as a buck a month. It is this podcast, but about Final Fantasy XIV, the MMO. And speaking of Patreon, our anime show, Boku No Stop, has uh, finished talking about Cyborg 009. And we're going to be releasing some Patreon episodes about Cyborg 009 versus Devilman, Ghost in the Shell 2, Innocence, and Shaolin Soccer. And you can also get those for a dollar a month at tentacle.pro. Final Fantasy XIV owns. Yeah, our podcast kicks ass. We're doing yeah. this podcast, but for an MMO, it is a lot. <laughs> Yeah, it is a lot. Uh, 14 is a lot. Are you just starting with 2.0? Um, yeah, we gave like a half episode summary on the entirety of a broad overview of 1.0 and how it ties in to 2.0. But then, yeah, we're we are um, 11 episodes in and just hit level 30. Nice. Yeah, there's a lot to talk about. You can have job crystals now. <laughs> yeah. That's all until next time when we'll be covering the Kukai Foundation round two up through the Song of Nephilim. Peace out, fuckers. Bye-bye. Bye.